Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out an audible African American who made African American athletes who made history on Amazon. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness Institute, Black World and Politics of the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida AM and the History of Black College Football. How are you doing, Lou? Welcome back. That's good. I'm doing good. It's a snow day for my kids. So I am just like hiding and, and chilling and trying not to do anything for them today. So we'll see how that works. You got, are you, are you responsible for feeding them or are they just on their own? Uh, at this point? Uh, you know, I got a kid that's like almost 15, so I, I have no responsibilities anymore. <laughs> that's how I feel. Like just don't, <laughs> I smelled like she made grilled cheese earlier and it almost burnt down the house, but you know, we're so far, if you see me running, then yeah, um, I'm responsible for feeding them, but if not, we're good. Um, and then we'll hit up the new black Panther. But other than that, just trying to avoid them, uh, as is, as if it's a school day. So we'll that's see. cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it is cold as it's, it's brick here in Lexington, Kentucky. It is like, it went from like 70 to, uh, like 25 this morning. So like it's, but it's supposed to be 60 next week. So like, cool. I just feel like it's just a, this is a small interruption. So golf on Thanksgiving is that what you, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like golf on the day before Thanksgiving. I'm just letting y'all know. Like, yeah. um, awesome. All right, so we back today after our little long uh, like hiatus because it's been uh, three weeks. Yeah, we're good because only one of us is working this semester, and I'm just right. saying, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, listeners, I do text him every other day, like, "Hey, we should do this Kyrie thing. Hey, we should do this Jeff Saturday thing," and then he's always giving presentations and talks, so we just can't. We can't some, do some it. Some of us got to work, man. That's what yeah, that and is. working. You know, and when working. you're the head of a department at a school that um, was just in the news for a racial incident, you know, you stay busy. I, I Right. You know, you stay busy. We stay, hey, it's a lot. Pray new problems yes. to the director of African-American studies. That's what it's put <laughs> that way. Um, but today we are talking about, because this weekend is going to be one of the greatest sports weekends that we've had in, I don't know, probably forever. We have NBA basketball. We've got... NFL football, we've got college basketball, we've got pro football, and more importantly, we got the World Cup beginning on Sunday. And it's because the World Cup only happens once in four years, about like this podcast at the rate we've been going this semester, <laughs> we had to go call in an expert. Uh, and so we brought in the black soccer doc, Dr. Jermaine Scott, Florida Atlantic University, come in to give us our expertise about this should be, I think I, you talked about the world cup 2022. This is the black man's guide to the world cup. And so oh, we got the black soccer doc here yes. to help guide us too. Cause if we're like the old school, where you just be rooting for black players in sports that you ain't know nothing about? Like who's that black guy in hockey? That's my guy. I don't know who that is. That Mike Grant, Greer. Bam. You're like, you're like <laughs> Grant Fuhrer. Is he black? All right. That's yeah, my yeah, favorite yeah, goal like player. Like, yeah. That's like how we him. root. Yeah. So this Greatest is how, goalie of all time. And so because the World Cup will be oh, in 4K plus, if you've got four, I don't even know what 4K plus is, but if you got a 4K TV, it is going to be in 4K. Thank you, Fox Sports. Uh, 
we get to watch all these great players. And so we brought in the expert to help work us through not only the United States team, uh, but all the great players across the girl, uh, across the world involved in this World Cup. Welcome to the show, Black Soccer Doc, Jermaine Scott. Oh, oh man. They- <laughs> Thank you so much, Derek, uh, Luz. Great to be back. Uh, wow, yeah. World Cups this weekend. It's going to be exciting. You know, a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of a lot of issues surrounding this World Cup. Um, a lot of excitement. A lot of a lot of disappointment. Right. So, uh, you know, it should be an interesting you know interesting month or so. Well, can I can I ask the first question? Says, look, I'm not going to get any. I have no information to give. <laughs> so, uh, I'll, uh, a disappointment. Are you referring to uh, Jamaica's uh, non-existent World Cup team, or what, what's going on? What do you mean by yeah, disappointment? Wait, wait. Well, shots well, that, have been fired, is, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that is a uh, that is a consistent disappointment with the men's Jamaican team. Um, yeah, since 1998. So yeah, I mean that's that's part of the disappointment. Although the women's team did make the women's World Cup for next year, um, but the main disappointment is largely surrounding just the uh, politics of this particular World Cup with uh, Qatar, um, the selection of Qatar, and. Um, you know, all of the human rights abuses going on, the discrimination going on in, in Qatar. Um, so there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that's what I meant by disappointment. There's man, a lot you of, got um, serious on me. I was angry. Like, yeah, I know. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to get ah, so serious. So yeah, clearly, but. I'm going to add to these disappointments too, right? That I just saw yeah, yeah, today yeah. where they're not even no selling beer. beer. Come on yeah. now. Like, what's, yeah, how are you going to go? Yeah, like, man. how are you, if you're, think about this. If you're from like England or Belgium or Germany, and you're like, we we going to the World Cup this year, like, and they're not serving beer. Can you imagine how disappointed you've been? Also, I saw some of the living arrangement, the the quote unquote hotels that look like yeah. the. You remember that uh, documentary on the Fry Festival that looked like that Ja Rule put together? Little yeah. shipping yeah. containers or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is this is look. Wow. It looked it looked like I'm gonna just wait to the 2026 World Cup to see where we're going next. Uh, where did that come to? Yes, is that 2026? Yeah, yeah, 2026. Yep, U.S., Mexico, and uh, Canada. Yeah, have they decided what cities? Is Miami? Yeah, Miami is one of the cities. Uh, thankfully, um, yeah, they decided the the cities a few months ago. Um, yeah, so Miami made the cut. There's a few other ones I can't recall right now. Um, L.A. of course, New York, um, Atlanta got one. Um, I believe Guadalajara. Uh, got one. Uh, Was it Toronto or Montreal? One of those schools. Toronto. Of those? I think there's two Canadian cities. I think Toronto and could have been could have been Montreal. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, that's going to be. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people are like looking forward towards 2026. Um, you know, I mean, I know a few people that just just said straight up, I'm not even going to watch this World Cup just because of there's so many, you know, there's so many issues surrounding it. So they'll um, watch. Uh, yeah, no, they're gonna watch. And it's gonna be in 4K. What are you talking yeah, about? Like, watch. Watch. like I got this 60 inch television in 4K. The only thing in 4K now is gonna be the World Cup. Look at this. Yeah. Nah. Um, so I'm <laughs> just right. being honest. All right. No, All right. Let yeah, me ask this question because we talked about this. I want to get back to Jamaica, then I want to do because in pre-show we were talking US and academies. I was I was with Jermaine a couple couple weeks ago. Um, he invited me. Sorry, Derek, uh, out to uh, FAU. Uh, you know, took me to a fancy restaurant next, on campus, and then and then the history department paid for a fancy restaurant at my at my hotel. You know, big spenders. <laughs> Shout out to FAU. But but uh, we were talking about Jamaica, and I just brought up this question about Jamaica. One of the things that's outstanding about the reggae girls 
is a lot of their players are U.S. born, right? And and somehow they have some connection. So that we talk about this when I do my black athlete class, this black diaspora, right? They have some kind of connection to the U, some kind of connection to Jamaica. It might be like a grandparent or something. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. with the guys, is that is that the same way, or are they just not tapping into the U.S. connection? Yeah, it's not as prevalent in the men's side. So as you said, the women's side, a lot of the a lot of the uh, players um, are either born in the U.S. or born in England, right? They were, you know, they went to college in the U.S., right? They're playing, you know, women's soccer in, in, in the U.S. system. Um, the men's side is, is not so much. I think within the last maybe four or five years, we're finally starting to make a, an effort to reach out to the Jamaican diaspora um, and start bringing in those players. Now, now I should say, I mean, it has happened in the past, right? In 1998, um, they had Robbie Earl, right, who was, I think, born and raised in England, right? So he was playing, you know, for the Jamaican World Cup team. So, so it's happened in the past, but the men's team is, is starting to make a more kind of, um, you know, you know, more distinct effort to do that. Um, gonna, and it's, I'm, you know, I'm going to jump in here real quick because Tyrone Marshall yeah, yeah. was on that. What was it? What year was that? 98 or not, or 2002 World Cup that's team? Right, that's right. That's and right. Uh, he 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 played uh, he played in. Kentucky at Lindsey Wilson before he transferred back. Uh, and this yes. is me shouting out because I'm back home. So these get home shout outs. His wife is uh, from the hometown. So Ooh, uh, uh, and he uh, and he works at FC Cincinnati now. He's a, the the yes. youth the youth coach. Look at that. Tyro yeah. Marshall. Look MLS legend. He's an legend. MLS legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Jamaica's um, looking but at yeah, no, it's album, cutting you out this conversation. I know. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Well, yeah, I'm just the question guy today. I'm just the question guy. Uh so 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 he's at so uh, uh, Tyrone's at Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati. Um, and that brings us to another uh, question that we have about this kind of local team. One of the things that strikes me about our local U.S. team is um, it's changed. There are a lot of black faces. As a couple years ago or a couple World Cups ago, the black faces were like German, right? And now they're like African-American. Is that due to our our academies? And Because you guys were talking about this pre-show academies and then the price of soccer. And I also know that Derek has a son in soccer who's like gonna be the next big thing. So I don't think I'd, I'd like to go there first. Don't, and then don't put that, talk about Mbappe and everything don't put that else. Pressure on him. <laughs> oh yeah, Derek Earl Woods White. Yeah, he <laughs> don't is. put that pressure on that boy. <laughs> he, he is making that kid train in the snow today, everybody. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you're exactly right. So this year, this World Cup, and really within the last, I'd say four years, we've seen a huge kind of demographic shift in the men's team, right? We see a lot more black faces, see a lot more brown faces. The few black faces that we did see, um, usually in the Klinsman era, right? The Jurgen Klinsman era were of German descent. Um, uh, so who, who am I think? Uh, the, the brother Julian Green yeah. right, was, was from uh, Germany. Uh, Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones. I think he was, yeah, you know, I think he came in before Klinsman. I think he was in before Klinsman, but he had that German background. Um, so yeah, there were a few... Uh, black players in the U.S. squad, the men's uh, side, uh, that were of German descent. But as, yeah, I mean, as Derek was mentioning earlier, uh, there's been a lot of improvements, right, in the U.S. academy system. Um, and they're bringing in a lot, you know, a lot more players, a lot more pl- players of color. Um, and a lot of these academies, um, I'm not sure how universal it is within the country, but a lot of the academies are free of cost, right? So they'll pay for a player to come and join their academy and all of that. So again, I'm not sure how widespread it is with the MLS teams, with the MLS academies. Um, but outside of that academy system, right, we still have this kind of rigid 
you know, pay to play uh, structure that continues to keep out a lot of us. Right. So it's, it's getting better. Right. But, you know, there's obviously still a lot of work to be done. Can I, let me let me just talk as a as a parent who as a person who grew up and playing in in that pay to play system, which was complete. There was no academy system. There was basically like, you know, three thousand fiefdoms of club soccer across the nation, and some were better than others. Uh, and where really the top end was was college, and if you were lucky, you made it onto the national team. There was no real expectation to go to Europe. Um, but this paid for the academy system starting at the MLS, but also starting at some of the better clubs, uh, really the, 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 the youth system in the United States has really kind of worked in and tried to, to try to streamline some of that in terms of improving now the quality of training. And so one of the, one of the interesting byproducts of this, that, that I was, we were talking about this in, in pre-show about, there's an article in Yahoo that came out earlier this week, how the average age of uh, this American team, for instance, has gone down. It used to be about 26 was the average age, and now we're talking about 22. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but that's really that's really the difference of kids going to college for three or four years and then becoming pros and then those coming out and going pro at 17, 18. Uh, and whether they're in the academies here in the United States or if they're really good, like Pulisic going over to Germany, uh, Aronson going over to Germany, uh, uh, Gio Reyna going over to, he plays for Borussia Dortmund now, but I think he started somewhere else in this training academy. So like what we're starting to see is a kind of professionalization. Um, and then, you know, I think the interesting thing in that article that I think we were kind of hinting at is that, is, is that, you know, the problem in Europe and in Latin America and in parts of the Caribbean as well is that the professionalization, the academies that they have there is like, if you don't make it to the top team or the first or second team, you, they cut you out. They just cut you loose. And so you don't have an education. You've been training for 10 hours a day. You got barely any, you know, uh, barely like middle school, junior high, ninth grade education. And then what are you supposed to do after your soccer career is over at 16? Right. Um, And so that's really the big challenge for those places. And they're trying to figure out here where we've done, I think the, the, the education side much better, right? As opposed to the professional side, they're trying to figure out how they can find that right balance. And so on um, the Dallas, uh, the Dallas Academy, uh, is it FC Dallas is what it is? Um, but uh, the Dallas team has uh, a school or Philadelphia Union, I'm sorry, they have a whole, they built a whole school uh, like that's affiliated because they've sold so many players a year. So they reinvested the money from their player development into developing school. And so the Salt Lake team, for instance, has a, charter school that they're working with and so it it is really trying to figure out more creative ways to to facilitate and one identify talent and then move them through the system at low or no cost but at the same time maintaining their kind of educational possibilities so that if they're not going to europe but they're also getting opportunities to play at college and whatnot and that's not a straight or a stretch Right. And then I guess like the next level, right, beyond like getting more like more players of color into the into the system is getting more black coaches. Right. And more <laughs> black women coaches. Right. And so that's 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 a whole nother, uh, you know, dynamic that has really yet to be explored uh, seriously uh, in U.S. soccer. I think we last time we talked about this, uh, at least we were on a phone, me and you, Duran, talked about that. Like there are only like seven Division One soccer coaches, black soccer coaches. Yeah. I think there are maybe yeah. less than that now. 
Um, yeah, no. Nah, for some reason, I knew like three. Yeah. I, I like knew three of them. Like it was weird. Like I worked with three of them. Like it was like I was like, and I played soccer in thirty years at this point. You know, like it's, it's like you talk about such a small number, right? Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting dynamic when we think about the coaches, both on the men's and women's side, men and women mm-hmm. coaches, and and so. Mm-hmm. But we've done. My brother made this comment to me a couple of weeks ago. There was a, a, a thing on Twitter, RIP, um, that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that showed all these players coming into training. They were given the dap. It felt like that Key and Pill episode um, <laughs> where the black dudes was giving each other these complicated daps, and the white dudes was like, "Hey, how you?" And, and, but it was so many black dudes on the soccer team. I had like such warmed my heart as one of these kids who grew up where there was like six kids and a whole tur- it'd be like two thousand kids and be six black kids at this whole tournament. So like, it was really great to see the the, the racial composition of this team change. Yeah. And hopefully that gives us a shot to play well this tournament. But I think really when we're looking at 2026 is really going to be where we can get some some real, you know, growth and development. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have a really young squad this this year. Right. So this World Cup, we're, I think we have I think we have the youngest team uh, in the tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on the one hand, we have the youngest team. On the other hand, you know, they're being called like the golden generation. Right. So. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of high expectations for this team, you know, but to your point, Derek, you know, if, if we don't perform well, then it's just a matter of looking towards 2026, where a lot of these players will still be around, right? You know, they're still young, so um, they'll have more experience, you know, and so, you know, you know, I guess it's not a, you know, be all or end all uh, with this tournament, but I always feel like every every like whenever the World Cup comes back around, the U.S. is having the same conversation about about their men's team, right? It's like, oh, this is this is the moment, right? Like, we have to, you know, we have to perform well, and then we, you know, get knocked out in the group stages, and it's like on the, it's like on to the next tournament, right? So it's I, I feel like the know. goal for this squad is always can they get out of the group stage? Like if, if that's a success, the group stage. Yeah. Can they make it out of the group stage? Right? Um, let's they have a chance. They, they have a chance. You know, real quick before we move on, one one of the things that's fascinating that we always do with the U.S. team is like, well, imagine if these guys play, and it'd be like LeBron and Steph Curry and all these other top athletes. But it sounds like with the academy system in place and being built up by twenty twenty six, maybe twenty thirty, we're getting away from that conversation because now some top athletes aren't going to those other sports because they're being tapped at an early age and being funneled into soccer is that is that a possibility or is that what's going on there i mean yeah i think some of it that's pressure i mean one of the things that soccer struggled with is that it was a sport that accommodated other sports right and so as the as youth sports has grown you know that we and lou we've talked about this lou where youth sports has become more singular focus where kids like i only play baseball only play basketball only play football only play soccer this is actually going to help soccer because soccer it, at the very young ages is because it's such an easy sport for like three, four, five-year-olds to get involved in. It's not very complicated. It's like, go do this, run around. It's actually easy to kind of work them in. And if they really enjoy it, you can actually tap them early and earlier in a way that basketball requires a, a different set of skills. Like you might like it, but like if you're not dribb- actively dribbling a basketball, that's a very complicated sport until you're like 10 years old. Um, and then football, we've been, you know, the opposite thing has happened where we've really stopped trying to promote youth football because we realize that there's head injuries and tackle. And so 
you know, this is where flag football has stepped up. But like, I don't think we have the kind of infrastructure for flag football at really young ages, at, you know, nationwide. Um, but youth soccer has really been able to benefit from that, right? Because it is really, I mean, that's the one thing that it has going for it is that all these communities and recreational soccer in all these towns, I mean, they're full, like, you know, like I coached a rec team here in Lexington a couple of years ago and our roster, every roster was full. Like we were, they were turning away kids um, who signed up late. And so that's really the kind of thing that you're talking about at, at that level. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's developing the youth leagues, right. It's developing the academies and it's, and it's also making sure that translates, you know, to the national team, right. Which is what we're seeing. Right. So it's, it's, it's important for these, young black kids coming through, you know, coming through these youth leagues and academies to see a Weston McKinney, right. To see a Tyler Adams. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, black people play this sport too. Right. Like this is a cool sport as well. Right. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's attainable to them. Right. And so I think it's a, you know, I think it's a, a full picture scenario um, where, you know, like the, like the development and the investment has to happen on the youth level, but also, you know, on the, on the adult level as well. Well, I think your point about seeing seeing players that look like you, I think that matters a lot for um, youth soccer. Like, you know, you don't and, just have to you don't have to just be Mbappe, right? Like, you actually can see that you could come through. And like a Weston McKinney gives you a path. Like, what does that path look like? Whereas before, we talked about like all these players being like, if you were black and you were on the national team, you had to be born in like you had to be a son of a serviceman. And you were born in some other country. That was like, right. <laughs> like that was the only way you were getting through the system, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now you can see, like, oh, there's a pathway. Like, oh, I can play on this team, and then I can go to this team. Like, you can chart a path if that's something that you want to do um, in a way that was really impossible before. I mean, even Pulisic's thing was impossible. Like, you know, what do you know? Like, because your yeah. parents got a international birth certificate you african-american like no baby i got one from kentucky or texas or georgia like <laughs> can't be spending summers in germany like what does that make it <laughs> right 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 you know and this is and, and you know but i think i think part of it is is the marketing right and so when you have the u.s federation constantly marketing Pulisic as you know captain america right like mm-hmm. You know what? You know what would what would change, right? If if Weston McKinney, right, is now the poster boy of the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. U.S. soccer. I mean, Tyler Adams is kind of slowly emerging as kind of this new this new face of U.S. soccer. Uh, again, Yunus Musa. This is this is a brother that I'm so excited <laughs> to watch on the international stage. Uh, I think he's going to blow a lot of people away, um, and I think yeah, he just brings something different that the U.S. hasn't seen. But again. It's, it's just so many levels, right? It's it's like mm-hmm. the actual development of the game. It's the marketing of the game, right? How how the game is marketed, right? This, I mean, we talked about this in previous discussions about how soccer in the you know in the U.S. is marketed as a white sport, right? As a white suburban sport. That's how it's marketed, right? Historically, and so you know a lot of things need to change, but you know it is it is promising to see um, these steps in the right direction, right? This is this is probably why I really don't like supporting the U.S. men's team, right? Because I didn't really see a lot of black players on the team, right, like growing up. So, I mean, even now, like this World Cup, I'm, I'm excited to watch them, right, because there are so many black players, but I'm also just like still dealing with my, <laughs> my earlier years of just really despising the U.S. <laughs> the U.S. men's national team for a number of different reasons. But whatever, you know, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. No. All right. So let's let's shift gears real quick. So so um, all right. Let's talk. Let's break down this U.S. team, even though that's your, that's your, your, your kind of reluctant squad because that's where we all reside. Um, 
And uh, let's you started with Tyler Adams. Let the folks know who this Tyler Adams is, what position he plays, what should we be looking for, um, what does he do well. Let's talk about a couple of these players that are beyond Christian Pulisic and whatnot. Yeah, so Tyler Adams, uh, right, is coming out of the Red Bulls Academy um, uh, out of New York. He ended up at Red Bull uh, Leipzig in the Bundesliga, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he plays center midfield, uh, which, again, is an important part when talking about uh, a black soccer player. Um, you know, we talked about kind of in football, right, how, you know, a lot of the speed positions are, are occupied by black players. Um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing in soccer, right? Having like the quarterback, you know, is often seen as this right position. It's the thinking position. Um, it's the same thing in soccer where the midfielder, you know, specifically the center midfielder um, is seen as the thinking player, right? The general of the field, um, the kind of controlling the pace and the and the you know rhythm of the game. And so Tyler Adams, he's coming in as a, a defensive midfielder, right? Um you know, in kind of Wait, soccer. He's playing as a six for our soccer fans. He's a six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a six, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so you know, that's an important position on on any team, right? They really control, you know, the you know the speed of attack. They really control, you know, the speed of you know defending. They really control the entire pace of the team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that central pivot point, right? You can you know switch you know the field of play through that you know uh, uh, central defensive midfielder. And so Tyler Adams is going to do well, right? That's that's kind of his main position. He plays it at he's at Leeds United right now um, in the Premier League, um, and so you know he plays the position well. He plays it very calm. He's very composed. Um, you know, very like level headed player, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not not a flashy player, right? He kind of just gets the job done, right? I mean, that's kind of what you want from your central defensive midfielder, right? You don't want anyone that's you know super flashy. Like you kind of don't want to talk about them, right? In the in the mm-hmm. game, right? If you're not talking about them, it's kind of a good thing, right? They're kind of just doing the the little work, right? The kind of behind the scenes work. So Tyler Adams um, is looking really good. There's some discussion about whether or not he or I'm not sure if it's been announced yet. He or Christian Pulisic will be the captain of the team. Mm. Um, he has captained the U.S. men's team in the past, so it wouldn't be, mm-hmm. um, you know, completely new. So there is that debate going on. Uh, you know, hopefully hopefully he gets it. You know, I was talking to some people uh, yesterday, or two days ago, rather, um, and they said, you know, they don't even think Pulisic should really be starting, right? <laughs> they, oh, man. They think Pulisic should be coming off the bench. Um, you know, so there's, you know, so there's a lot of, yeah, you know, but I think, you know, I, you know, I'm not mad at that. And I think that'll allow other players um, to shine, right? And kind of get the spotlight. So yeah, Tyler Adams is one player. Um, you know, he's a younger player. I, I'm, uh, this is his first World Cup, right? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. this is his first World Cup. Um, we have more experienced players uh, like uh, DeAndre Yedlin, uh, who's playing right back. Uh, Derek, I don't know if you wanted to add anything about, about Tyler Adams. Oh, I just think, I mean, if when you're watching him play, I think the one thing you will note is that his success means that he's stopping other teams' attacks. Like, that is, if he's, if he's cutting out and slowing attack and, 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 and distributing the ball to the, to, to the offensive center mid or to the wings and really giving us a chance to counter, that means he's successful. Like you pointed out, like, if you don't, he should not be – he should be in – we should be talking about him for tackles one and passes completed, which are, like, really kind of advanced stats that most people wouldn't see if they're not watching the game. Um, my uh, my brother and I talk about this all the time. You know, really the growth and development of, of the U.S. men's national team and the possibility and the potential is that 
this is the first time we've ever been able to pencil a six in and not be worried about it, right? Like everybody else is all the other time we're trying to convince offensive players to learn how to play six. Like this is a kid who like learned how to play the six in Red Bulls Academy. And, you know, we just have never really grown and developed sixes. It's like a, it's a very advanced high level position that American soccer has not traditionally created. And so the fact that he's so young, that he's captain, he's played at the highest level in both the Bundesliga and now in the premier league, I think it's just, an, as, as, you know, this gives, this is a, what a lot of the optimism is about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I want can I add, let's, can we switch real quick and let's talk about Weston McKinney? Cause he's the opposite end of this. So we got the six and eight. <laughs> right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, Weston McKinney, he's coming out of the, um, what is it? The, the, the Dallas Academy system. Uh, he's currently playing um, in Italy with Juventus. You know, and Weston, you know, contrary to, uh, you know, like a Tyler Adams, just in terms of not only play, but just like personality, right? Like, you know, Weston is very, um, you know, he's very outgoing. He's kind of like flamboyant in the way he like presents himself and the way he plays. He's very like passionate in the way he plays. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, like, I guess this is kind of the thing, right? Like he's a dog, right? He's really a dog. Like He really gets out there and, and like works his ass off to, to you know, really to win a game, right? He's not, not afraid to make tackles. He's not afraid to get in the box, um, you know, put a head on it when he can. Um, you know, he's looking, he's, he's constantly looking for those passes, right? Those kind of passes out to the wings or, you know, the, you know, the nine or the striker uh, making those behind the, you know, the behind the defense runs. And so uh, Weston is always fun to watch, right? He's, he's dealing with some injuries. Uh, I'm trying to think what the knock is, but he's, he's not fully fit. I mean, he should be fine to play uh, and start. Um, but he is dealing with um, a small little knock. Um, but Weston is fun, you know. I, again, I think he, I think he gets, I think he may be seen as a controversial player because of how passionate he is, right? Because also, I think he's a black player, and people re- <laughs> don't know how to read black passion, right? Like they don't know how to read black, you know, uh, passionate players. Um, but Weston is one of those players, right? He's he's very exciting to watch. Um, yeah, uh, Derek. I don't know what what else. What else about Weston? I, I will say, like uh, of the players on the on the U.S. national team, Weston McKinney is the most familiar to African. Like his style of play is the most sure. familiar to black fans. Like sure, he's sure. Dude, he, I think he's the most familiar, right? Like himself. Well, well, yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, some of it's him, but it's also like like you point out the way he carries himself in a way that like if we were watching a basketball game, Weston McKinney's antics would feel very normal, yes, but, in, yes, in, but we yes. don't have, and it would feel normal if we were watching, like if we were watching France to be perfectly honest, right? Like sure, a sure. nation that has a much more developed kind of relationship with this kind of black, black players. Mm-hmm. But here in the United States, because of the kind of history we haven't had, we haven't had guys who could present that way, right? Like, I mean, this is the kind of the knock, right? That, that you had to fit, you had to kind of curtail. It was so few, you had to curtail your personality. And Weston is just, his talent has allowed him to play. I mean, we talk about this, you know, big picture, like Lou, right? This is like 40, $40 million slaves where we talk about style, right? Where like we're police, like all these leagues, when black players come in, they're always trying to police blackness and, 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 and fun, right? Like we couldn't spike the ball. You couldn't do any of these kinds of things. And what we, what we see now, at least in American soccer is Weston 
is this. But when you read the comments about the fans, they're like, why is he always doing this? He 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 plays in some ways with the same kind of passion as as Pulisic, but they read it very different. It gets read completely different because of race. And so like when we talk about Weston McKinley, so I'm actually, you know, both him and Adams for different reasons. Adams, because I think he's like rock solid. We need him to be like this consistent play for any of our success. But I want Winston uh, McKinney, Weston McKinney to have success in part because I want that. Like he needs to be the face of America. It's like if you want to change how people come into the game, he yes. actually has to have – he has swagger. Like I hate that term, yes. but he has that. Like he's – you know, he's got – style. like he's – it's like a good attitude. Like if he was playing defensive back, you'd be like I would – like he would fit – he would be one of like every other defensive back in the NFL, right? But like Absolutely. here, Absolutely. you know, like I don't know how to read any of that, right? And he's like super skilled and super talented. And the fact that he plays for Juventus, and we don't talk about that enough, like one of the premier mm-hmm. clubs in the mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh – we never talk about that in the same kind of way. Some of it's our English bias, but it's also like, dude, Juventus is like one of the top six clubs in in club football yeah. history. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he plays yeah, for, for sure. it, starts every night, and that's mm-hmm. a certain kind of thing mm-hmm. that gets overlooked. Yeah, not for sure, right? And I mean, if, <laughs> but you know, like, like, and like, that's my frustration with the federation, right? It's they will never make Weston McKinney the face of U.S. soccer. It just won't happen. Right. Um, but this is why I think it's important, right, for these players to get this, you know, international call up. Right. I mean, you know, and and and, and another thing I think about Weston is he plays with a lot of like not just passion. Right. But like joy. Right. Like he's mm-hmm. he's fun to watch on the ball. Like he's not afraid to, you know, you know, twist his hips. Right. He's not afraid to like put a move on you. Um, mm-hmm. So he's you know, I love watching that from him as well. You know, and we'll see a lot of again, which is not. Which is not common when watching U.S. soccer, right? We're not used to seeing the flashy, the flashiness of the of, of the game, right? It's kind of head down, just kind of go forward, you know, defend strong, whatever. Um, but Weston kind of brings this flair to the team that it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. You know? So let's talk about um, two of the other players who have clear like international roots, but are in <clears throat> United States. So you brought up Musa earlier. Let's talk a little bit about Musa because he is really one of the youngest players on the squad, but also one of the newest. He has the like the fewest caps. I think people were surprised. I was surprised when he got called up or, like late in the in the qualifying cycle. Um, and so talk a little bit about to, to him and his game because uh, I ain't gonna front the speed to power conversation is is here, right? You know, in this sense. Right. Speed of power is there. So, yeah. So, Yunus Musa, um, actually born in New York, um, but uh, yeah, born in New York, but really grew up in England. Um, this guy's really like a really international player, right? He grew up in England. Uh, he moved to Italy for a little bit. His father is Ghanaian. Um, uh, you know, his, his, it's just like he's, he's really all over the place. He's really like an international, like a truly diasporic player. Um, and so he had a number of options. He could have played for a number of different teams. Uh, he, of course, he chose the U.S. Um, and what? And he plays for uh, Valencia in Spain right now. Okay, so he's he's also a center midfielder. Um, the thing, you know, I think Burhalter should line. I mean, I mean, think about that, right? If if we have a if we have a starting midfield three of three black midfielders, right? Tyler Adams, Junior Musa, and Weston McKinney. I mean. I don't think I don't think the U.S. has done that before. But if Yunus Musa can get the start, um, I think what's what's fun to watch him is, or, or what makes it fun to watch him is 
his grace on the ball, right? Like sometimes you just watch him and he looks like he's literally just gliding across the pitch with the ball. Um, And he's, yeah, I mean, you know, I hate to do it, but he's so, he's strong, right? He's a strong body. He's a, he's a very physical player. So he's, um, you know, it's very difficult to kind of knock him off the ball, right? He has Mm -hmm. great balance on the pitch. Um, He's young, right? He's 19. He's very, very young. Um, but he plays, he, but he doesn't play his age, right? He plays, mm-hmm. you know, like a 26, 27, 28-year-old. Um, so Yunus Musa, I think, is going to be very fun to watch. And, 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 and the reason I'm excited to watch him, similar to um, the reason you like Tyler Adams, right, in that sixth position, right? Like we, we just haven't seen a player like Yunus Musa. I, 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 maybe, maybe Jermaine Jones, maybe. But Jermaine but, Jones can't get called up at like 28. Like that's right. the other issue. Well, like, he yeah. got called. Like, he got called up at like twenty six sure. or something. He was already like, oh, I mean, Jermaine and Musa is more. To be perfect, he's more athletic and more skilled than Jermaine Jones, who was very, very good. Like he was essential in those squads. But like right. when Musa has the ball, you don't be like, oh, he should really pass it right now. Like sure. you feel like, sure. like, sure. Sure. like sure. I actually think he's going to do something really dangerous here, that's right? It. Like that's yes. that's what I. That's and he usually I feel does, like. right? Yeah, 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 and it usually does, right? So, I mean, yeah, I just, it's 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 hard to recall uh, a style of, of player that 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 the U.S. has had similar to to Musa. So that's going to be very fun to watch. Um, and I don't know. I think maybe the other player you might be mentioning is a uh, Dest. Yes, Sergino that's Dest. the other one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Sergino Dest, uh, another fascinating, another young player, right? He's coming out of um, he's coming out of the Netherlands. You know, there was like this big, you know, like almost like a, almost like a like decision day, right, for Sergio Des, like when he came <laughs> out and announced um, announced that he was gonna, you know, choose to play for the U.S. Um, that's that's kind of where you know that's that's where he played in his youth uh, teams, like his youth national teams. He you mm-hmm. know, played for the U.S., so it was a natural kind of transition. But there was a lot of concern that he was going to choose uh, the Netherlands over the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, he chose the U.S. Um, the guy uh, started out in the Ajax Academy, you know, another kind of famous, you know, youth academy system uh, over there in the uh, over there in Amsterdam. Um, played very well in Ajax. Was a stand, you know, was a standout uh, uh, right back. I believe he plays on the right side. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I believe yeah, yeah. right side. Um, you know, again, he's like one of these like modern, right? These modern wing backs where he's you know constantly going up and down the field, joining the attack, um, but able to get back in defense and and you know you know do what he has to do. Um, he then went on to uh, play for Barcelona for a few years, uh, not too long, but you know he was there while Messi was there, so he got to you know got to play with Messi for a little bit. He talks about you know those experiences uh, playing with Messi before Messi left. Um, and now he is uh, at Milan. Yeah, mm-hmm. AC Milan. AC Milan, yeah. Um, so, you know, again, another U.S. men's national team player that's, that's playing in these, in these, you know, storied clubs, right? Like we talked about McKenney, uh in Juventus, right? Now we're talking about Sergio Dest with not only Barcelona, but now AC Milan, right? Ajax, of course. And so it's great for the U.S. team to kind of get this, this, these players that are surrounded by so much quality, right, on a week, you know, on a week-to-week basis. Um, so Sergino Des is also going to be um, another fun player. I think he's probably going to be lined up across from uh, DeAndre Yedlin, uh, who's a veteran on the squad. Um, I believe he's like he could be the only player to have been at uh, a previous World Cup. 
Um, so, you know, he's going to bring that, he's going to bring that veteran experience as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. I think. I'm a, I'm, yeah. I just want to, one more before we change teams, because uh, yeah. Tim Way is on this team and I just want to know, can you let, can you let the listeners know who Tim Way is dad is? Because for us of a particular age, like this is a really kind of a big deal. Like I can't imagine how his dad feels as his watches his son go to the world cup. But as a, as a person who grew up and there weren't that many people who to, to watch, um, yes. that like, this, this is your, this is your wheelhouse. I'm gonna let you do this. And then we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna talk about Canada and then we're gonna just do some highlights. Nah, 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 it's all good. Yeah. So the father, so Tim Ware, uh, another black player on the U S men's national team, you know, first world cup, he really took some time kind of breaking into the system. So the fact that he's been getting so much playing time, the fact that he made the squad, you know, a lot of players are, you know, super, you know, super excited to watch him grow. However, his, father is George Weah, right? And George Weah, um, you know, was the president of Liberia, right? He was a Ballon d'Or winner um, back in the 90s, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this guy is like one of the, I wouldn't say the, I wouldn't say the first, but he was, oh shit, maybe he was the first Ballon d'Or, the first African uh, Ballon d'Or winner, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, Derek, check me on that. If Yo, he is. He's the only he yeah. is the only first and only winner from an African nation. Is he the only really? Yes. That's, wow. Okay. Wow. I don't I don't think I realized that. Yeah, but George Weah is, you know, he's he's just a legend. Um, you know, he was African footballer of the year in the early 90s. Um again, he won the Ballon d'Or, um, you know, only and uh, first and only um, and, and, and he's, he's a politician, right? He's, he's the president of, he's the president of Liberia, right? I think, you know, I think there was, so yes, it's important to, to note that, that relationship, obviously. Um, but I think there was a, a recent article that came out about Tim Weah talking about how his time in New York was really where he developed the game, right? Kind of like, like living with his mom, right? And kind of mm-hmm. like developing the game in that way. So of course it's important to mention the relationship, um, but I think well, I Tim, mean, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, he, I, I imagine that's like a lot, right? Like that's a lot. To, that's a huge burden. I mean, like so. Part of it is that Tim, we've known, we've known like fans of soccer have known Tim Weah since he came into the youth. I mean, he was like on the youth national team. I want to say at like fourteen or something like that. Like he was a ridiculously young, but he, you know, name recognition. And so I imagine he was coming out of Florida at one point. I feel, or his dad was based in Florida. I know for sure. Because when I was at FAU my first year, George Weah was doing some, like he would do work at the local areas in, in, in South Florida. So this is, yeah, so this is, okay, I okay. do know this before he went to, uh, <laughs> before he went to president, well, he got the presidency of Liberia. Um, okay, but like, okay, I think okay. that, that Tim is just, he's a fascinating young player. I, I think he's going to probably come off the bench if he comes out, if he plays at all in this tournament. Um mm-hmm. But I just wanted to note that there's a sense that like he there's a strong connection to kind of royalty, what we think of of, of legends uh, in this squad. And we think about, if, you know, his presence alone transcends these generations where we're talking about, you know, when when African football, when Pele was like, you know, that there will be an African nation that wins the World Cup. A lot of that was pressed upon not on Liberia because because Liberia was not very good in the international football community but George Weah as an individual player became is still the mark for for what you could hope to be for Sadio Mane and for other players of that class of that caliber um yeah. 
All right, I want to talk a little bit about Canada as our arch rival, but like this Canadian thing, I feel like the United States didn't do a good job recruiting because they probably should have convinced Alfonso Davies to move to like New York or something and the like. And so let's start with Alfonso Davies, who by far is uh, one of the best players in the world. And I hope he's off this injury to, so he can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, yeah, I don't know what the U.S. was thinking. First of all, yes, yeah, Canada – they really did a hell of a job recruiting, and you know, and, and, and you know, like it wasn't just with with uh, with Davies, right? There's so many players. Again, like thinking about the Canadian, right? It's kind of Canadian diaspora. It's Canadian Black diaspora, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, you know Caribbean brothers on the team, you know, a lot of African brothers on the team. So, so that's going to be a fun. It's also a very young squad. I think this is their first. Uh, I think this is yeah, Canada's first World Cup as well. Right. So they're going to have a very it's going to be fun to watch uh, the Canadian team for a number of different reasons, partly because they're pretty black. Right. They're a pretty black squad, um, but also because they're just young and, you know, it's their first World Cup. And I think they have a lot to prove, um, especially coming from CONCACAF, which has been largely dominated by the U.S. and Mexico. Right. I think they're, tr- they're trying to make a point. Right. Because um, they, they, they won the CONCACAF for our listeners. They they won the yeah, the, yeah. the qualifying. So they were the number one. They out of the seeding, they came out as number one. Um, and and a lot of that was to the the fact that they. I was looking at their roster. I'm like, I don't know who all these people they found out of Toronto. Like this is. <laughs> <laughs> yo yo, it's um yeah no that's that's gonna be a fun team. I think I think they're gonna be yeah. I mean they're definitely a huge sleep, uh, a sleeper team, and I think they're gonna surprise a lot of people. Um, but Alfonso Davies, you know, he's a very special player because he comes not even out of, uh, not even out of MLS, right. He comes out of the USL, right. In, <laughs> in the U S right. So like, that's the division right under, uh, the MLS. And so, you know, he's coming out of really the trenches of, of American kind of, you know, American development, um, mm-hmm. in soccer. Right. And so, um, of course, he makes a name for himself. He, you know, signs with uh, the Bundesliga side, uh, Bayern Munich, which, again, is another one of those storied, you know, um, just really historic, famous um, European clubs out of Germany. Um, and, you know, I again, I hate I hate to do this, <laughs> but, you know, talking about speed and, you know, pace and power. But this man is is very fast. <laughs> This man is very fast and like he he will just burn you up on the wings, right? And um but right, like it's not just it's not just uncontrollable speed, right? Of course he's yes. a very technical player, right? He's a very skilled player, right? He can control his control on the ball is 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 sweet, right? And so but I think that it really like the guy the, the guy is fast, right? I, I I do want to say that. I don't I don't want to deny that. Um because it's, it's, it's important to his game. I mean, it, it really is important to his game. However, that's not that's not what you know comprises the entirety of his game, right? So he has to be able to do something with that speed. Right? Let me let me talk about like first of all, I was reading the Athletic, and they're like he's the third fastest player in the in the Bundesliga, really? like any at a half mile hour, like at thirty six kilometers per hour. I don't know what that means for miles per hour because my <laughs> math is all bad, um, but I do know fast. Um, and then two, what also makes it very interesting is that like he plays outside mid for Canada, right? So he plays outside on the wing, 
But for Bayern Munich, he plays, uh, I think he plays left back, right? And so, like, they let him come up the side. So, some of this is about the quality of Bayern Munich, that they don't lose possession. And he's playing basically an offensive attack. He's, like, the extra attacker in this play. But he has so much pace that they're not worried about his defense because he can get all the way back. So, we talk about the skill that we're going to see from end to end is um, it's super spectacular. Like, I mean, like you said, like, it's like, you know, we – Black players get caught in with speed, but we should like that's like saying like you know Tyree Hill's a very good receiver, and not mention the fact that he's like ridiculously fast. Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. exactly, exactly, exactly. No, um, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, it's exactly. I, I, I want to talk mean, a little bit about Joe David, Joe David, <clears throat> Joe David, uh, because he's also the forward for Canada, and he's Haitian. Mm-hmm. Uh, by birth, and I and he single handedly was the person giving uh, the United States and Mexico all kinds of problems, right? And so he plays in the French first division at Lille. And I just want to, you know, I think that there one of the things about this Canadian team is they are they actually play the way I wish the United States would play, which was they played very they countered and they countered with ridiculous like. They're streaming down, and so they use a lot of physicality in the back, but then they use a lot of pace in the midfield and the forward. And so they've been able to really do, um, d- to really do to the thing that like what America used to do in some ways back in the day when we that when we played a little bit more defensive, but they do it with more skill than we did when 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 Brian McBride and all those guys were in the in the roster. And so I think that this that it's really exciting to watch this because in some ways it gets to our conversation about how the United States team looks. The Canadian team has also leaned into this and found a little bit of success. And for us in North America, this is really a great opportunity that now these Academy programs circling us all the way back around Academy programs and all these other things are, are, you know, not afraid to, to figure out how to incorporate black players and style and, you know, you know, their whole personality as part of it and not forcing them to fit in. Um, and then because, as you pointed out, that some of them are playing in central midfield, they're thinking of them as sixes and center midfielders as opposed to just wingers or forwards or whatever. We really are getting, uh, again, uh, getting a little bit of diversity uh, in in the take. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, Jonathan David is going to be someone to watch. again. I mean, again, this, there's, this, I think this whole Canada squad is just going to be an exciting team to watch. They have a lot of... Young players, um, you know, I think he's 22, uh, maybe 21. Um, again, again, like I don't know too much about about David. Uh, he, like, like you said, he plays in Europe. He plays with uh, Lille in uh, the French league. Um, you know, I think what, yeah, I think what just you know is is most attractive to me, which is you know reflective of the entire squad, is you know is his is his you know diasporic roots, right? He's you know born in the U.S. to Haitian parents. Um, would I have liked to see him play with Haiti? Maybe, but you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna judge the guy for, for choosing the, you know, the country. But um, yeah, you know, I think, you know, I think again, it's just reflective of what we're seeing really throughout international soccer. Is a lot of these national teams kind of looking, looking throughout their diaspora, um, you know, to to kind of create, to kind of create this national team. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he, you know, lit it up in. The CONCACAF tournament, uh, you know, I'm just reading here that, you know, he tallied uh, nine goals, five of them coming from the third and final round. Right. So he was just, yeah. you know, he I mean, was talking about clutch. Was, right. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was he was he was doing it. Right. 
Um, and this is also, again, you know, United States is whatever, but like, this is where you really feel like their infrastructure, you know, he's born in Brooklyn at some point, uh, you, he, when he was on the U 17s, you probably should have figured out how to have him come into camp just to see, like, I think sometimes, oh, of course. you know, cause then it comes back to bite us. Right. I mean, again, this is the diaspora, right? Like we're talking about born in Brooklyn, but moves to Ottawa or born in the United States, but then moves to London. Like we, you know, we're kind of, we're often a little late. And so, uh, you know, to Canada, to Canada's credit, they were able to, to really come in and, and, and really identify the talent and then, you know, nurture it in, in their own program, in their system. And he's been successful for them. Um, you know, selfishly, if the United States wants to win world cups, they're going to have to need, like we struggle scoring goals. And so it's difficult to watch players who have, who have American citizenship score goals for other countries when you need yes. people to score goals. Yes. And this dude, proficiently, right? Like, yeah. He scores a lot of goals. Right. And so, yeah. um, that is a big challenge. So let's talk about the highlights. You know, who, you know, this is, is this, who's world, you know, what black player on the international, you know, we talking top, you know, number one player, whatever it is, like who, who are we looking at for the average listener? Who's like, I watched it, you know, the Super Bowl, but who should I be watching? Like when that game comes on? Sure. I mean, you know, the first, the first name that immediately comes to mind is uh, Kylian Mbappe, right? Kylian Mbappe plays for France I mean, he is, you know, he is, the, you know, the contemporary, you know, kind of like the, the right now LeBron James of world soccer. I mean, dude, is, I mean, he lights it up whenever he plays. He plays for uh, uh, PSG in France. Um, you know, he's the, he, he also plays alongside on that club with Neymar and Messi, two of the other, you know, top soccer players in the world. Um, but this guy is just, he, he really is unstoppable, right? Like he, you know, <laughs> I mean, dude is, you give him the ball and just like let him cook, right? And he's gonna, he's, he's gonna cook, right? Um, so, I mean, he, I mean, he had a, he had a breakout performance last World Cup in 2018 mm-hmm. in Russia, right? I think it's, I think he's just gonna continue that same form. Um, you know, he's looking good at PSG, right? He just, He's just a guy that's playing with, you know, a lot of confidence right now. He's, you know, there's, there's always talks about, you know, what's his next team? Is he going to stay with PSG? Is he going to Real Madrid? Right. So I think this tournament, he's he he wants to just show to the world again, right, how how incredible he is. Um, so Kylian Mbappe, for sure. There's another brother off the, well, you know, the French team is, is, is stacked with, you know, stacked with black folks. So that's, that's going to be fun to watch regardless. But um, they have another guy, uh, Eduardo Camavinga, right? Camavinga, he currently plays for Real Madrid, um, a central midfielder as well. I think this is going to be a very, very exciting tournament for him. Um, I think it's going to be one of those breakout, you know, one of those breakout performances for him. Um, again, just, you know, anytime I'm always attracted to like black midfielders, right? I'm like, whenever there's a black midfielder in the game, I'm like, my eyes immediately uh, get a little bit wider, especially in the French team for this year, Paul Pogba, who a lot of us might know. um, And uh, Conte, I'm forgetting Conte's Conte's first name. Yeah. Um, Golo. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Paul Pogba and N'Golo Kante, they are both injured, so they will both not be participating uh, in mm. the World Cup, which is a huge bummer because um, they're I mean, not only are they incredibly popular players, but they are very important players for uh, the French side. Yes. So, um, you know, that's going to be that's going to be a knock. But I think I think uh, France is, is, is going to be fine regardless. Um, so, yeah. So those two players from France, I'm looking at Kamavinga and, of course, Mbappe. 
There's another player and team that I'm really um, excited to watch, which is Belgium. Uh, Belgium has a young player by the name of Jeremy Doku. Mm-hmm. And this guy is, I mean, this guy, this guy is, uh, is pretty explosive. Uh, you know, another very young player. He's 20. Um, you know, uh, of course he plays for the Belgian national team. Um, and I think he's just, he's just primed for, you know, like we have a lot of young players that's just primed for a breakout performance. Uh, I think Doku's one of those players. Belgium, um, is, is another stacked team, right? They have mm-hmm. players like Kevin De Bruyne, um, Hazard, Eden Hazard, um, uh, Tielemans, who play for uh, Leicester, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a number of um, uh, Lukaku, right? I, I'm, I'm not sure how much time he'll get this World Cup, um, but we'll Cause see. Because he's, yeah, he, he, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's Henri, that's what we would say. Like, he is always <laughs> like, you know, he, he is what you would imagine. Like he is prickly as we would like to say, like, so, <laughs> you know, it's like he, if he don't, if he don't get the ball the way he wants it, he gets very prickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. Coaches, uh, coaches and teammates apparently uh, find him prickly. Like, that's a nice yes. way to put it. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, that is a nice, that's a nice way to put it. Very nice way, actually. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'm very excited to see the Belgium squad. I think they're going to make a deep run. They, they got third place last World Cup. Um, mm. I think Kevin De Bruyne can change a game single-handedly, so I, I think he's going to be important for their squad. And I think lastly, you know, the team that I think a lot of us are watching and a lot of us are expecting to win the World Cup uh, would be Brazil, right? And, yeah, I mean, you know, you just take a look at Brazil's uh, <laughs> Brazil squad, and there's a number of players uh, we can talk about. Um, you know, Gabby Jesus, uh, former Manchester City player, used to play, I mean, Used to play for Manchester City, currently plays for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he played last World Cup. I think he may see more looks. He may get more. Um, well, I mean, one more playing time. But I think he's gonna have a better. I think he's gonna have a better performance than than, than his last World Cup. Um, he's older. He has more experience. Um, he has more confidence. So I think he'll be fine. Of course, Neymar, right? The kind of big names yes. um, in the in the lineup. Um, Vinny what Jr. Vinny Jr. is like he's like a throwback. Like he's a throwback. Like <laughs> you know, he's a throwback to when Brazil used to have fun. And yeah, he basically, really is. like, he really like is. he just plays with so much like samba in him in a way and, that like yeah. like like Neymar tries to do it, but it feels it feels very individualized. Like it doesn't feel like the joy gets spread through the team, right? And when if you know, in my age. You watch Brazil growing up, and you're like, dude, this team is having fun, and they're, like, working you over. Um, and they've had less and less fun probably since 94. Like, that, I remember 94 being, like, the least fun I've ever watched them have and, <laughs> and winning a World Cup. Um, but now, like, you see him, you're like, oh, he's, you know, Real Madrid. He'd be like, oh, he's out here doing his dance. He's, like, and he's yes, smiling, yes. and he's, like, it's not relief. And so if he can bring that kind of joy to that squad, like, that's going to be a very, really big, big piece for them. And and on top of that, he's not afraid to speak out, right? And so because of all this samba dancing, right, he's been criticized, right? Like I think just recently, right, there was mm-hmm. some comments from, you know, different broadcasters, different announcers saying, you know, stop the samba, you know, you know, just all this like racist comments about samba dancing and monkeys on the field and all this Mm-hmm. All this nonsense, right? So he came out, you know, straight up and was like, listen, like, I'm going to keep dancing. You know, you're not going to stop me, right? And, of course, you know, you know, a number of different players came out to support him, right? So, 
that's, you know, he's just going to be fun to watch, right? I mean, that that team is just going to be fun to watch, especially if Vinny's out there just cooking it up. Um, if they, think, if he yeah. gets success in the in the in the group stage, they're gonna be a problem because like he, he's a guy that he's gonna be infectious. Like if he's the guy who comes down and scores two goals in the first night and then like yeah. sets up people, like if you start to see that, like they have so much. Like I don't think we understand the pressure that Brazil feels when the World Cup happens. Like every yeah, every four years, it's 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 like, incredible. It's like they have been crushed by that pressure in real ways and. Yeah. 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 Um, and given the election that they just had, like where they little, like, you know, like is a lot of, you know, they're, they're asking this team again, almost, you know, this has happened. You've written about this so many times over the course of this, the, the country's history, re- modern history is that the, the team is in some way being asked to heal this nation as it was starkly divided, yeah. um, in the politics of the election that just happened. Right. And so Absolutely. the fact that he's dancing and he can, and if he can do this, because part of the Neymar mythos is his talent, but the, also the other part that's been disappointing is his inability to transform Brazil, to lead Brazil to the, the highest of highs in the ways that other, um, people who have worn that, who have worn that kind of honor as the best player mm-hmm. in Brazil. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and so Junior's got a chance to Vinny Junior's got a chance to like like let's let's throw it back let's go back and do this old thing yes. and like yes you know where I, I showed my kid the other day um, there's like Fox got all these great things on their on their and their pre-show coverage about like the greatest plays and one of them was Pele's like where uh, he he like lets the ball run by the keeper he misses the goal but he likes to yeah, run yeah, he runs yeah, by yeah. the like like, <laughs> you're like who tries that like who does that full speed like that's the kind of like the thing that they yeah, would do yeah. man and yeah. and so I hope they get back to it and that and you know he's 22 like I love all, like we're really in a big changing of the guard here where you know in the last Absolutely. World Cup like. Mbappe showed out at 19, but he's like literally the biggest name carried for like Messi's still here, but we all know like we got very right. different expectations for Messi at this point. And right, and right, Ronaldo, right. did he even make the squad? Did they even call him up? And yeah, uh, for Portugal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, we got but they're sure like you. they're like at the end of their like their their dyna- their their dynamic dynastic run. Uh and so we're really looking at this next co- generation and this next generation is a, fun, a bunch of young dudes who who look like us in some ways. Yeah, no. So uh, I think out of all the the big names on the Brazil squad, I think Vinicius is going to be the one to to really just take the, you know, take the spotlight. I mean, yeah, I think he's just going to have the most fun. I think he's going to be the, you know, the flashiest. I think he's going to, you know, rack up the goals, rack up assists. I think he's going to ball out. But I I don't think as much as it hurts me to say, I don't think they're going to end up winning it just because of what you said, Derek. Uh, I think the pressure is just going to, I think the further they go, I think the pressure is just going to get heavier and heavier. And I think it's going to prevent them from winning it all, even though the, you know, like they're, they're the clear favorites. I mean, everyone kind of has them winning, winning it all, but um, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to happen. I want it. I want it to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen. So, um, but uh, also I, there's, yeah, go sorry, ahead. sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, I was just going to mention that, you know, there are three, you know, uh, West sub-Saharan African teams uh, in the world cup as well. Maybe right? to my transition. Senate. That's what I like. It. That's yeah. why, that's <laughs> why right. we cool, have cool. you on here. Awesome. 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 Yeah. So it's, again, you know, I, I'm trying to think when the, uh, let me not say that. Yeah. I'm trying to think when the last time we had three sub-Saharan teams um, mm. at the world cup, right. It's our selections are usually, yeah. The African selections are usually. 
Go ahead. Because one of the North African teams always is is, is usually like exactly. usually it's Egypt, um, and it's been Egypt and somebody Tunisia, else. Tunisia, Morocco. Tunisia's in this one as well. So, yeah. yeah. But this, I mean, you know, I just was looking up in the in our pre-show. Sadio Mane's hurt, and he's gonna miss the opening couple of games. And and my and my youngest son is a Liverpool fan because he just like, ah. like I need him to put I need to put like black people in front of him, and so. Yeah, he yeah. watched, you know, Mane and and, and Mo Salah, right? Like that is, yeah. you know, is because it's also genius. And so watching them struggle this year, and he's like, "Why are they not winning?" You know, and I said, "Because Sadio Mane, who was the <laughs> is the best pressing forward in the world, right? Like their whole offense is defend dependent on them pressing the ball and winning it back early. And when they switched him out to go to when he went to to Bayern Munich." They lost such a – they're trying to figure out how they're going to play. Um, the guy they have, Nunez, is going to be in the World Cup. He's very, very good. Uh, but he's a traditional center forward, and he doesn't press. Uh, you guys still there? Yeah, we're here. Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. So, anyways, um, yeah. So, like, it's um, – you know, we, we got three subs in here. We have Cameroon. We have uh, Senegal and Ghana. And this is going to be a, a – we need we need two two of those teams actually to get out of the group stage. That's what... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can y'all can, can y'all still hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, my headphones went out for a second. But nah. Yeah. Senegal, Cameroon, Ghana. Um, so even though Sadio Mane is not going to be playing, Senegal still has a very strong squad, right? Um, mm-hmm. They got a uh, Kaladu Koulibaly, um, who plays for Chelsea right now. A defender, very strong defender. Um, he came from. Oh God, Italy. Um, what's the Italy? Uh, It'll come back. Have to you. You um, like the, that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. Right. Uh, Napoli, Napoli. Is it Napoli? Yeah, yeah. He came from Napoli. Um, so he's a very um, important. He's going to be a very important piece to the Senegal squad. And of course, their goalkeeper uh, Edward uh, Mendy. Um, also plays for Chelsea. Um, you know, very good, a very good uh, goalkeeper. Um, uh, Idrissa Gay, uh, who I believe plays for Everton, if I'm not mistaken. Does he still play for Everton? Yeah, he still plays for Everton. Um, again, Senegal has a very exciting squad, right? So it's not just Sadio Mane. They have a number of different players. Um, a lot of them play throughout Europe, right, the European leagues. Um, so Senegal is going to be good. Their their coach, right, Aliou Cisse, it, you know, it's, it's it's always good to see an African team or like a Caribbean team with a with a black coach, right, with an African mm-hmm. coach or with a with a Caribbean coach. So um, Aliou Cisse is also, um, of course, he was you know he's Senegalese. Um, he played for the Senegal team, so there's a lot of history there as well. Um, and he's he's kind of like a hero in Senegal, right? Especially with their their recent performances in. Um, in, in uh, the African Cup of Nations, right? So Senegal is always going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm interested to see how Ghana does. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't make it last World Cup, I don't think. And so, and I think they just made it into, I think they I think they had to go through the playoff round to make it into the, mm-hmm. to make it through the qualifiers. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they do. Um, you know, I don't know too much about the uh, Ghanaian or Cameroonian squad. Senegal is kind of like the team that I, <laughs> the African team that I really go hard for. Um, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think I think right now they I, I do think that they have a bunch of young players. I mean, they they were really young, and that's one of the reasons they struggled to, to qualify, but they made it in at the end. Um, I'm looking at these rankings, and they're they're ranked as one of the lowest ranked teams coming into the tournament, right? And that and that's and that's disappointing because for a long time, like the Black Stars were really the the one of the premier teams in, in West mm-hmm. Africa, and, and you know, mm-hmm. most famously fought. Uh, did they they defeated the United States in what year? World Cup was that? Oh, in two thousand. It was two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. two thousand ten World Cup, right? And so and they lost terribly to uh, I think it was Uruguay with, oh, the, with, yeah. the, with the penalty kicks. Oh, Lord. yeah, yeah, that was terrible. Um, we shall never. So- <laughs> Shall never forget. You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, and then Cameroon most famously in the 94 World Cup, it made a run all the way to the eighth, I think the semis, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roger Mila. Uh, it, it was so like, you know, this is, you know, those are very classic, you know, teams. Um, you know, the Mane being out of this World Cup is a disappointing thing for not only for Senegal, but for us as fans, right? Because in some ways, you know, behind Mbappe, he's the most, he's the most decorated you know, black player in this world cup. Right. And so mm-hmm. him being ruled out for this injury that he had, he just took literally last weekend, I think it was in, in, in the last Bayern Munich game um, uh, is, is a, is a, is a, you know, obviously disappointment for Senegal fans, but it's a disappointment for us fans as well, because there's something about the way he plays. It's like a certain kind of workman, like um, is he, you know, he carries himself with a kind of humility that like everybody likes, but it's like, I was ta- showing my son his background one day and it's like, you know, the kind of poverty that he grew up in. It was like, you know, to, you know, we talk about that rags, the richest story that we talk about sports could possibly do. And a lot of these, these guys, black, white, and other have this story, but like Sa- Sadio Mane was like, you know, he had made, he had, you know, he finished second to, to, to Benzema in, in, in football of the year, this most mm-hmm. recent, you know, thing. And so, it's a it is a disappointment, obviously for him. I can't imagine how he feels, but for us as fans, it's also disappointing. All right, we are we are over the hour mark. So, like Lou, Lou, you want to say something? I got I got nothing. Enjoy enjoy the World Cup. I I no. This has been great. This has been a great learning experience. I'm gonna go read some stuff up and get ready to to watch some of these guys. Um, Can I who's say- gonna win? Who uh, hey, who you got for the win though, Jermaine? So you got it. Let's pick your final. Let's pick a final four ish. And then who you got? Final four. All right. Actually, uh, let me just pull up. I actually filled it out already. Let me uh so I can tell you, I can tell you who I have to win it is um I'm gonna go with Belgium. I'm gonna go with Belgium. Oh, okay. Uh, again, they got third last year. I'm 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 a little concerned about their depth. Uh-huh. However, I don't know. I I think I think Kevin De Bruyne can literally win a game by himself and it's not from scoring goals it's from just finding passes that no one else on the field will see um mm-hmm. not even not even the person that is <laughs> right with the passes intended for right like they'll just like yeah. surprisingly see the ball like right on their feet um and so i think he's going to be able to create a lot of goals um so that's who i have uh as as the winner of the world cup let me just let me just pull this up what about you who do you have winning it that's a good question. I, I, this is the first day I'm going to be honestly thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I, I would not have picked Belgium, but you're probably right about Belgium. I, you know, I think, I think France is still the depth of and quality of France. If they, you know, uh, soccer is is such a momentum game. Like it's such a funny game, right? Like it is such a game, and like you'll you'll have a better sense of what's possible after like one game. Like who's playing well, who's not. Um, 
you know, it it is, I, it, it is the most unusual thing in the, in major sports is that these teams, these world cup teams are basically thrown together in the week. Like they play together over a time, but like they just announced the team in the last 10 days for all these countries. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and you know, and, and many of these guys don't play well together. And so one of the things I think that's going to be important is how many, you know, who can fund, who can put it, who can produce a, a national team roster with most of the same players on the same team, right? Like, and I think that actually helped on the same club team, excuse me. Yeah. And that helps a lot of continuity where you can now just fit in a hand, like you could change out your goalkeeper because that's like the least important. But like, if you're central midfield, you're six, you're eight, like they understand where they're supposed to be and keep, keeping them organized, then you can add a forward or you can add a player here or there. And I think that historically, that has always worked. When we think about Spain, for instance, when they won their World Cup, they won because they were like, you know what, we're Barcelona and we don't have Messi, but we got all we got eight other guys who play together every other day. And so like that practice, the scheme, I think that is the biggest challenge. And so, you know, you see the same I, thing with Germany, right? Oh, uh, Germany every year because Bayern Munich is that. And so I think when you look at that, like I think Bayern Munich's gonna, I mean, Germany's going to be a problem because they're just always a problem. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think that this benefits the place like the Netherlands because all those guys kind of play in the same league in some ways. Yep, yep, um, yep. The European nations have actually been the biggest beneficiary of this this new system, yep. and so it'll be interesting in Belgium, where almost where they export almost all their players. Can they come back together and yep. and put it together in a in a in a, in a for a tournament? And it, yep. you know, this is this really does benefit all those Western European nations because they've been, they've been vacuuming up talent in real ways. And so, you know, and I think when you get to the depth, some place like Netherlands, like, you know, all those guys grew up in the IAC system, right? And so some of it is, even though they play in Europe, they all literally came through the same system. And so they, you know, they're reverting back to something that they know. Whereas like Brazil, like Neymar leaves Brazil at what, 15 or something like, like all those guys in Brazil are leaving younger and younger. And so they're not playing for, you know, uh, you know, the traditional clubs of Brazil at the same rate, they're actually in the academies of Barcelona or Arsenal or whatever. I actually think that makes it much more difficult for them to, to field teams. And so, and everything, everybody's young. And so I don't know what this is going to be uh, in terms of the age. This is going to be an interesting World Cup because there's really, I mean, your point about Belgium is probably a great, as, as good a guess as any. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who puts together this squad that can like, figure out how to, you know, all oh, this is inside baseball, but like, how do you play when you're down one, nothing, right? Like, what do you do? How do you create organization? Mm-hmm. You know, all those kinds of things are the difference between winning and losing. And so I'm always leery about picking Brazil because they don't have enough. They never have enough sixes. Like they never have enough defensive mm-hmm. midfield guys. Like, mm-hmm. and so if they can figure out their defense, they're always a problem. Their goalkeeper situation is good. Allison starting every night for Liverpool. Like, that used to be a weak spot. Their forward position. I mean, they're so stacked at forward. Like Firmino's not even coming. Like, they, like right, so right, like right, right. They gotta find central central midfield folks, and it can't be Neymar because he dribbles too much. Like this is this is right. part of and Casemiro other. and Casemiro's getting old. Fred, yes. I'm not sure if I'm not sure. If, I want I want to like Fred, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's, yeah, he's not consistent enough for me. I guess. Well, yeah. And the other part is that Brazil got an easy group. I'm looking at their group and they're probably at the easiest group. So this, if, if anything works in their position, in their advantage is that. Um, 
I mean, yeah, so Danny, I got, they, brought in, they brought in Danny Alves at 30. They got a 39. Danny, Elva, Danny Alves will forever be on the Brazilian national. And Tiago <laughs> Silva is 38. Like, and Tiago Silva, right, right, right. This yeah. is crazy. This is That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Was, anyways, their youngest player is only 21. Think about that. The United States has younger players, like multiple younger players yeah. in the Brazilian team. Yeah. So this actually, yeah. you know, if they're – if they could get some play out of that, I just again, I'm not as convinced by their midfield. Their midfield does not make me excited. Um, and then fair. Germany's just Germany. I just think like they, their defense is a little bit dicey, but they're you know, but like Steffi Graf, you gotta you gotta you gotta kill them every year. <laughs> like they don't make <laughs> no mistakes. It. You gotta go out and take it. Like it ain't gonna be like we yeah. gave up an easy goal. That's it. That's it. I think on the Steffi Graf thing, I, once we get there, I think we're done. <laughs> oh man, Lou's like I don't I don't get it. Go ahead, go ahead, Jermaine. Last word, Jermaine. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Last word. All right, two last words. My final four is Belgium, France, Senegal, and Brazil, and I got. Oh. Uh, I got Belgium and Brazil in the finals. Belgium winning it all. My second point is um, we didn't have time to talk about it too much today, but uh, if you haven't already seen it, go ahead and check out the FIFA. Uh, it's like FIFA Uncovered documentary on Netflix. It it breaks down a lot of the corruption that's going on in FIFA, the corruption that's surrounding this particular World Cup, a lot of the human rights abuses surrounding this World Cup, right? Like thousands of migrant workers have died, right? Building stadiums and you know preparing for this World Cup. So there's a lot of like serious political issues uh, surrounding this World Cup, right? People are literally like, you know, claiming they are boycotting it, right? Of course, they probably will not boycott it. However, just to, you know, just so the listeners know, right? There's there's a lot of serious like life or death issues surrounding this World Cup. So I just wanted to make sure that was that was a uh, you know on the record. We got you on the record. I don't even know where we're going to advertise this now that Twitter's uh, dead. But we're gonna, I know we got. That's oh, why we got to hurry up and finish yeah. it so we can post it. We got <laughs> we got to post it before Twitter goes down. I don't even know if Twitter's up. I haven't checked in an hour, so. We'll see. Yeah, anyways, so hey, Jermaine, thank you as always for chopping yeah, it up, you. man. And uh, thank you. Uh, you know, what, are you as you want to tell people where you are? You got anything in the in the cooker that you don't let folks know about? Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, you can find me on, you know, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at black soccer doc. Um, I am, yeah, currently working on a book called black soccer, uh, diaspora football and politics. Um, hopefully that will be under contract in the next couple of weeks. Um, and so yeah, be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for that. So we'll see. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. All right. Peace. Peace. Peace.